This morning, I wanted to touch on a thought that was kind of mentioned at at convention and one of the messages, and it's the thought of the anointing. And it was, you know, Pastor Dan Karam was sharing on the, the last night, the closing of the convention, and, you know, he was kind of sharing how in the world today, it's kind of changed then, you know, from times past when you know, people would come in, come to an unsafe people and share like a simple gospel message. And, you know, it would just re- receive and penetrate and lives would be changed and so forth. But today, it's as if, you know, the gospel and that simple message is competing against a lot of distractions, a lot of hardness, a lot of apathy. And, you know, I think, you know, and it was just saying like, even in, in, in far off places, you know, you go to these, these places that used to just be a simple people, and now they know more about technology and, you know, smartphones and social media and all that. I mean, it's just, it's a different world that we live in because people are flooded today with many things. I mean, media, as well as whether social or video, you know, they can... They can listen to messages all over the world. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good, right? And then you're, you go there to explain the gospel. It's like, well, I heard the gospel this way. And it's like, well, here's what the Bible actually says, right? And you have to kind of, there's some things you got to work through. You know, like the old time missionaries, they come to a foreign nation and, um, and, you know, I was thinking of specifically of, of Adoniram Judson. You know, I really respect him because he was one of the first American missionaries to come, and he ended up in Burma. But, you know, he faced a people with a certain mindset, right? There was a religion there, that, and it was entrenched, not just now on, on their holy days, but in every area of their life. And it took 10 years for him to break through that mindset before he really got his first solid convert. Can you imagine that? 10 years. But it's because there was something there that had to be overcome and broken in the, in the minds and the lives of these people. And, you know, it's almost like we're, we're facing that today because there's so much that's, that's there to distract, to fill people, to distract that has to be broken through. There's a lot of things that are hardening people's hearts to the gospel. So what do we do? You know, it's just like just sharing the simple message of the gospel. People are like, oh, that. What do we do? Well, really what we need is power. We need, we need the anointing. We need the power of the Spirit of God to confirm the message of the gospel. And, you know, that anointing that breaks the yoke that binds people to their other way of thinking, their other ways of living, their mindsets, and so forth, right? And, and when the anointing comes, it's like it sets people free to be able to receive the message of the gospel. And so it's that, that idea that, you know, we need more than words to get people's attention. We need power. Now, I think a, an example of this 
in the, in the scriptures, especially in the early church, uh, that we could bring out is Stephen. Now, Stephen was not one of the apostles, right? He was, he was one of the actual, the helpers. I think if you, if you would get, call him in modern day terms, he might be like a deacon who helped out with the natural things of the church. You, you know, today he would have kept the, make sure the lights were turned off and make sure the parking lot was plowed in the winter. Probably not down here, but pick up sticks after the hurricanes down here or something, right? I mean, he, he helped with the day-to-day work and the natural things and helping others in the church. But you know, he also had an anointing. And so the anointing came upon those even who were just helping in the early church. And of course, that just because he was a helper in the church didn't stop him from sharing the gospel. And he was so effective at sharing the gospel in his community that what happened? The Pharisees says, you, you knocked that off. <laughs> You're causing trouble. Not because of just the words he was saying, but it was the anointing that was upon him. Because they tried to, to persuade the people and reason against him. And here's what, what it says in Acts 6.10. It says they were not able to resist. It wasn't just his words, but the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They were not able to resist the anointing, the power of God that was upon him, as well as the gospel message he was preaching. You know, and that's a good picture of the anointing upon just someone in the church. And I, I think it's good to, to, to point that out with Stephen he was a layperson. Right? Now, he was, he was called of God to be a helper in the church. They chose these ones, right? but yet he wasn't an apostle. But he chose to walk in God's ways, and he received an anointing that when he preached the gospel, there was power. And it opened people up to receive that message so that his enemies couldn't resist or oppose the work. I mean, there's, you know, that's the thing today. We know if we start to preach the gospel, if we go out and preach, there is going to be opposition, right? That's just a part of our culture now. What do we do? Well, when we, when we have the anointing, it doesn't matter what the opposition is. They cannot resist, meaning they cannot oppose the message of the gospel. You know, we can also think of John the Baptist. He was out there preaching in the wilderness. Um, you know, if someone's out in the middle of nowhere today, it takes a lot of effort to get people to get out there to listen to them. Right? Usually, you gotta you gotta bring lights and a <laughs> some form of entertainment and some you know <laughs> to get them out there to persuade people to come out. You know, in, in, into the wilderness, and you know, usually it has to be some circus type thing to get people out there. I won't even mention that thing that's out in the desert in Arizona, but you know, people go out there to have fun. But you know, when John the Baptist was out there, he was just being a voice in the wilderness, and people flocked to him. Why? Because he had a power and anointing that pe- that set people free to understand and to follow God. You know, we can have the best arguments. 
We can have the wittiest sayings and great stories, but without the anointing, it lacks power to penetrate hardened hearts and minds. And we, you know, but we have a good message. We have the best message out there, right? We have the good news, and we have a vision to go give that news to them. But how do we get them to listen? The same way John did, to be a voice in the wilderness with an anointing because he spoke with power. Of course, that's the Apostle Paul as well. You know, he said in 1 Corinthians 2.4, he said, My speech was not, without, was not in with, uh, with enticing words and man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. That's a challenging verse to me. Right? Because there have been many times when I've tried to share the gospel and I just feel like it's like seeds just bouncing off the wayside. and I need something that just takes that seed and shoves it right down into the wayside and makes it penetrate. Lord, we need your anointing. We need your power. You know, of course, that can apply to anything we do, not just like, you know, witnessing or preaching the gospel. We need, we need his anointing to pray. We need his anointing to encourage, to help others. And when they, when they see the anointing and the power of God, that gets their attention. Now, the anointing, uh, a good definition, because it's kind of hard to describe, like, what's the anointing? But the, the Hebrew word that kind of comes close to that is, I won't even try to pronounce it, I'll butcher it. But it, it, it means to rub with oil in order to concentrate, or not concentrate, consecrate, <laughs> right? And so it, it comes from a, a thought in the temple that if they wanted to anoint something and make it holy and used by God, they would, they would kind of rub some oil on it, and that was now set apart to be used in the temple for a holy service. And it was with power because it set people free from their sins, and it brought them near to a holy God. It was a vessel that was used in the service of God in the temple. And so all of these vessels that we read about in the tabernacle are really a picture of what God wants to use us as in the service of the king. He wants us to be anointed for service. Now, in, in a spiritual sense, when, when, when we're anointed for service, he does the work. He empowers. And that's what we need. Right? But of course, it also implies we're, we're consecrated and set apart for God's use and not our own. Because we can see other examples of, of individuals who were empowered, but they weren't consecrated. And they really caused a lot of trouble, or got in trouble, I should say. I mean, prime example is Samson. He was empowered and anointed, but he wasn't consecrated, was he? And boy, he experienced some hardship because of that. But we're, we're looking at running our race as consecrated vessels, anointed. Now, I wanted to just look at this through the lens of one verse in, in the, the early church of how, how it worked for the early church because I think it's a model of how it's going to work for us in the last day church because we're believing for an outpouring, 
right? We're believing for, for a greater measure of anointing to break the yoke. And, and so we want to see how's this going to work. Well, in the early church, it's soon after Pentecost, it says this in, in Acts 4 and verse 33. It says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Now, these are two notable descriptions of the early church and its leaders and upon those who were associated with the church of Christ. It says, great power, great grace. And I just want to consider those, those two concepts. You know, because as the Lord used the early church, so he's going to used, use the latter-day church, the last-day church that we're trusting and believing to be a part of very soon, and we're hoping for that. Right? But what is, what is God looking for? He's looking for a church filled with great power and great grace to accomplish his will in the last days. And it's going to be something that the world will stop and take notice of. Right? Because the church, right, the prophecy from Deuteronomy 28 is the church is going to become the head and not the tail. Right? In the sense that the world is going to say, wow, you guys have what it takes. We want that way. You know, and so it's the idea that you know, even in the early church, they were really established not just with, with the preaching, but with the power. Because the power got their attention, and then they received the word. Right? And you know, we've considered the, the Greek word for power before dunamis. It means force or miraculous power. It's the same Greek word we, you, that's uh, derived for the, the word dynamite, you know, explosive power to set people free, to break bondages. And this was not just, you know, the power to, to heal, but it was the power to open eyes to see and ears to hear, to cause people to believe. That's the true purpose of power. Now, it does affect, you know, the power of God does heal, but that's not the true purpose of it, right? You know, we can consider Acts 3 where Peter and John are walking in, in the temple and they're past the, the gate beautiful and they see the lame man begging and, you know, it says Peter, Peter's eyes were fixed on him in, in Acts 3, 6. And, he, and Peter says to the man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they went into the temple, and everyone saw this man jumping up and down. And it opened the door for Peter to preach, and 5,000 come in. You know, 5,000 believe. Now, I have to say, ask, like, what's the greater miracle? <laughs> Someone being healed and jumping up and down, or 5,000 people being set free from a wrong mindset and coming into the truth of the kingdom of God, right? but they needed one to have the other. And so that's why we're looking for the power of God. You know, miracles of healing are going to be wonderful, but that's really secondary. We need that so that we can have the real miracle, which is people being set free and coming into the kingdom. Now, these days it kind of seems like 
there's always some form of opposition, as I mentioned, to the gospel. You know, the, in the early church, they had the Pharisees, which was a religious spirit. They had to combat that. Every, you know, Paul had to combat that everywhere he went. And a lot of times that religious spirit meant, you know, beatings and stonings and stripes and all sorts of stuff. You know, today it depends on where you are in the world. Sometimes you face the religious spirit of, of something else, another spirit in the form of other worship. But in the, in the Western nations, it, it's kind of like we face a spirit of unbelief and apathy that, you know, the word doesn't even get into the door or penetrate. And that's why we need the power to break through the spirit of this age in whatever form it takes. You know, and, but in the early church, the power of God was just blowing the doors open. Right, that was close to trying to be close to them by the spirit of of a religious spirit or or so forth. You know, it was just blowing the doors open, and they weren't happy, but there was nothing they could do. You know, it says this in Acts four sixteen. It says the Pharisees said of the apostles, "What are we going to do about these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them, and is manifest to all that dwell in the Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it." We can't oppose it. We can't stop it. What do we do? I'm, I'm happy when the enemy has that problem. <laughs> we can't stop the work of God. They, they try and find other ways to oppose, you know, like throwing the apostles in prison and threatening them and so forth. But, you know, the, the power of God is undeniable. The people can't reason against it. They can't explain it away. And it opens the door for people to believe and receive the gospel. You know, there's a story of a missionary healing a, a chief in a village. And I actually forgot where I heard it, but I just heard it again at convention because Pastor Dan shared it. And he said he heard it from the source in India, or at least someone close to the source. And, and he was sharing about a mission group evangelizing a certain tribe, a certain group of people or a village. And the, the chief in the village was sick. And, of course, they were coming in to share the gospel. And, the, and they said, well, does your gospel have healing in it? And they said, yeah. And they said, well, if you heal our chief, we'll all believe you. But if you can't heal our chief, then we're not interested. Well, that kind of put the, the leader on the spot, right? <laughs> well, Lord, you, you said by your stripes we're healed. You know, I was a little nervous. But he went in. And he prayed all night for the chief. And in the morning, the chief walked out of his tent or whatever the dwelling he was, perfectly whole. And what happened? The whole village was converted because of what was done, the power of God that was demonstrated. You know, and Christ shared for the last day church that we would have this power restored and much more, right? Because that was the promise. John 14, 12, truly I say unto you, he that believes on me, on me, the works that I shall do, he will do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I'm going to my Father, and the implication is that we now have the Spirit of God released to us. And the Spirit of God is not just upon one person, it's upon many people. And so now there's an army. Instead of one Christ, it's a company of Christ's that's filled and empowered 
and could go throughout the whole earth revealing that power. And it's going to be great, even to a greater level, a greater degree. Pastor Dan had a whole list of things that weren't, uh, you know, why it was greater. I won't get into that. But, you know, I think we can understand that we're still looking for that greater portion to be fulfilled in the church. Right? In another verse from the Old Testament, Haggai 2.9, it says, The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. We understand it. Speaking of the church, right? The last day church, the glory is going to be so great. I remember, you know, the, the, the story that always comes to my mind when I associate with that is I, I remember reading a, a book that was recounting like a visions people had. And, and one of the visions that someone had was of the last days, like during this time period, they were, they were kind of saying like, in the last day church, the miracles are going to be unbelievable. And he said, someone had a vision of a group of little children, right, who are believers. And these, these kids had such faith is that they came to a building that housed mental patients, right, patients with mental disabilities and so forth. They were bound by spirits of mental infirmity. And it said the children had such faith that they just laid hands on the building and they prayed and all the patients in that building were healed and set free and they walked out whole. That's a different level. Right? We, we might have faith that if the one person comes in and has a need, we all gather around that one person and we, we're all praying in the spirit and, Lord, heal this person, Get them, set them free. But that's another level to have faith. Well, I'm going to lay hands on this building and whoever's in this building is going to be healed. But, you know, I think that is an example of the power of God that's going to be released so that so that his people can be a witness to the whole earth so that everyone will have that opportunity to choose Christ or no. But, you know, in, in bringing that, that out, it's, it's that thought, we need the power of God to be released. Now, kind of went long on the first part, but I just want to look at this thought really quickly of great grace. Right? There was great power given to the apostles and great grace, and it says, upon them all. And it's that, that sense that the grace of God was just covering those who are walking in the New Testament church. You know, and, and some, God gives power to certain people. I mean, some people, at least in church history, they've flowed in certain gifts. Some people have gifts of healing for like certain diseases. I remember a story of someone who had a gift to deliver people from certain cancers, you know, and that was their gift. And they prayed for people. Other people have had gifts of, you know, prophecy and different things. Right? And so we can flow in certain gifts that God wants to give to people, but it says grace upon them all. You see, we are to flow in the grace of God for all things. Now, the grace of God is, is divine favor, right? It's only his favor that, that we can come into his kingdom, right? We're here because of grace. God had favor upon us to have the privilege of coming into his house this morning and, and, and coming into his river and, and having light, not everyone has received grace. 
right, to do that. But the second part that, that you know, I, I think it applies more to believers as, we, as we've received favor, we also have to receive power and empowerment, right, so that we can do the will of Christ. Now, Paul exemplifies this to a very high degree. Right, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. And so Paul was given grace to labor. So he said, God gave me grace to labor, so I did it. And I, you know, I, I labored. He ministered. He traveled. He preached. He did what God, he felt God was calling him to do, and he faced a lot of hardship, but he overcame through grace by receiving grace from God and walking in the grace of God. Now, thankfully, his grace is available to all of us. In fact, you know, I think it's very significant of, of the name that God has given to his throne. Right? Do you remember in Hebrews? Hebrews 4.16, where it says, we're, we're to come with confidence to the throne of grace. We can come whenever we desire in that sense that, that we can come into the throne room because Christ has opened the door and we're coming to the throne of grace. And we obtain grace in time of need. And so God is sitting on his throne and he wants to impart grace just like he wants to give faith, right? Faith is a substance we can possess. I think grace is a substance we can possess too in the sense that we either have what it takes to do the will of God or we don't, right? We, we're either empowered or we're not empowered. And we have to obtain grace to do the will of God. Of course, the key to receiving grace is James 4, verse 6. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And attitude is one of the biggest factors in whether we obtain grace to do the will of God. Humility attracts grace. Pride repels it. And so we have to say, Lord, I need your grace. I'm dependent upon your grace. Now, we recognize, just in closing here, we recognize that with our natural eyes, we don't see great power and great grace flowing, right, in the church. There's several factors to that, right? There's the timing of God, but yet there's that thought of tapping in to that source. You know, if it's sometimes when, when the life is not apparent on the surface, what do we need to do? We need to tap into the source beneath the surface, right? That thought of, of that well of living waters that comes from beneath. It's not on the surface. You know, if, if the river is not flowing on the ground above, sometimes you can tap into it below. You know, my parents had a, a well on their property. There, there wasn't water flowing on their property, unless it rained a lot than there was. But, um, but their well, right, they, they, I think they tested the flow, and it was like a river flowing. Like they put dye down there, and it cleared out so fast, the guy who was testing the well said, there's like a river flowing down here. You know, that's, I think, what we have to, to look for 
until it's flowing on the on the top, and then you know everyone can tap in in that sense. But but I just kind of feel that that thought that it's time to tap in. It's time to say, Lord, we need to tap into the source of your power and of your anointing, that there would be a release, a release of faith, a release of grace, a release of power to do your will and to be witnesses for your gospel and accomplish your work. And of course, for us, we're, we want his work to be done in Clearwater because God brought all of us here for such a time as this. Now, just in, in closing, maybe Sarah, you can come up and, and we're just going to sing a little chorus. But at, at the convention, there was, a, there was an altar call for those who wanted to receive this anointing. And, and it's and in the sense that we need to tap in and we need to pray, Lord, release your power. Lord, I want to be one of those that's empowered so that I can be a witness for you and have more than words, that I can share your gospel and it would be with power that people's lives would be changed. Now, if the miracles flow and someone you pray for someone, they get healed, hey, praise God. But we want more than that, don't we? We want power so that lives can be changed, so that hearts can be drawn to Jesus. Yeah, maybe we can have enlargement too. But it's for it's for power. And so we're gonna have a, a an invitation. You know, Sarah's gonna just sing this a few times. And if you want that empowerment and you want to come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you empower me in a new and a fresh way? You know, come down to the front. We've got oil. And we're just going to pray and believe for a fresh empowerment of the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, would you flow through your church? Lord, would you meet with us in a fresh way? Amen? Amen. So Sarah's going to just lead us in a chorus. And if you would like to receive power, just come down and we're going we're gonna to pray together. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Precious Holy Spirit, we come before you. Lord, we're asking for a fresh portion of your spirit from your throne of grace. Lord, that you would cause your people to be full of great power and great grace. Lord, not to do our will, but to do your will, that your will will be done in our lives, that your will will be done in our church, that your will be done in clear water, in Zion Fellowship, Lord, and in the nations of the earth. Lord, we're asking that you would empower us. Empower your people today. Let us not walk in our own strength, in our own words, but let us walk in the power and the demonstration of the power of the gospel and the power of your spirit. And Lord, we look to you. And Lord, we even, Lord, give ourselves, Lord, to pray and to ask that your power would be seen. Oh, Lord, move upon us in a new way. Oh, we're looking to you from heaven for a fresh release of your anointing, a fresh release of your power. 
Do that in our midst. And we thank you for it. And we bless you for it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.